What is it that you crave out of life? What are the main desires you have for a life well lived? As a follower of Jesus, what is the life God has always wanted for you? In this message series, we'll explore Trinity's six core values. The Bible is God's story given to transform you and to be the authority in your life. God loves your family, and so do we. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. We pursue spiritual growth and life change in community. You are designed with a role in mind, and you belong here. These are the things that we care about most and how they might lead to the life we've always wanted. Good morning, Trinity Church. So wonderful to hear your, your voices this morning just lifted in the Lord in harmony and in unison together. And um, what a joy to worship him. My name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, Pastor Doug is still around, by the way. Did you see him in bare feet baptizing a few weeks ago? And um, he's actually going to start a new series next week on Ruth that's going to lead us up uh, to Easter together. And one of the things that was on our hearts is as we walk through this series on our core values together, that we would hear God speaking to us through the voices of Trinity Church. And so I want to thank those of you who are willing to share the word with us and share a testimony of God's work in, in, in your lives. Thank you for taking part over these last six weeks together and ministering to this body in that way. But as we kind of are bringing this to a close, this series that uh, the life we've always wanted, what a compelling picture of really what God wanted and designed for his church these different core values that we've put out of the word and community and the calling to serve and, and the beauty of belonging to his community of, of his people and his kingdom. And, and, and where do we go from here? And this is what's been on our hearts. And this was on Pastor Doug's heart right from the beginning. He was committed to three things, to encouraging us, to renewing us, to, to helping God to renew us and inspiring us. And so we felt like this is a focus on renewal. This is a season where we're asking the Lord to renew us and our commitment to what he would have us be, his purposes for us as a church, as Trinity Church together. Doug's been working on renewal of our ministries with the different pastoral and director's staff here this has been our focus, our mission, or our vision that was, was given to us in the fall is journeying together with Jesus towards transformation. Folks, transformation is renewal. And there's this sense that we're desperate for renewal. I believe that COVID shed a spotlight on some things in the church in America. It's almost like it pointed out, you know, there's another pandemic, there's another illness, there's something that's off. And if you think about it, as we came through these last seasons with us, it has been a tough season for the church. It's been tough within the church for relationships with one another and not just Trinity Church. 
A lot of people, you look at the articles, have chosen not to return to the church. A lot of people have shifted churches. It's like we're all looking for something and we're wondering, what is it? We can't quite put a finger on it. And I believe that God wants to show us what that is today through his word. What he wants for his church is renewal. And you guys, we're seeing it. If you've been following the news, there's something happening in Asbury. It's happened before. And it's, it's like, what is God doing? People are calling this revival. But here's the truth. If there's revival, it will always result in renewal. It will always result in transformation. And so we've been yearning for this as leaders in this church. And I believe that God led us almost supernaturally to the topic of this passage today. We were talking about the renewal covenant, right? We, we've renewed, Steve was sharing, the partnership class. We, we felt like we need to take a little bit of a deeper dive in what it means to be a part of God's church together. And the, the elders said, hey, we need to re, reconsider our membership commitment that we make to each other. It's called our membership covenant. And there's a group that's been working on that all year, and they're just about coming to the end after receiving feedback from the congregation a few weeks ago. And uh, we can look forward to a, uh, an opportunity together to renew our commitment before the Lord to one another in this local church. That's something that we hope is coming soon. Pastor Jared, when we were talking about renewal, said, you know, there's a passage in the Old Testament where the nation of Israel renews their covenant with the Lord. And that is found in Joshua 24, and that's where we're going to be today. So I encourage you to open up your Bibles and uh, look in Joshua 24. We're going to pick up with the story of the nation of Israel, and I think we're going to find a lot of parallels with, the, with our story as God's people, as his church in this time, this critical time, both for us as Trinity Church, but in the larger sense for God's people in this day and age, I believe he wants to speak to us today. And so I'd like to pause and pray before we jump in together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible blessing that you've given to us, the way that you are at work as as uh, Josh and Walker shared this morning, God, we've seen this happening. And, and so we thank you, God, that you're always working. You're calling us back to yourself, maybe in a fresh way of just being devoted to you and devoted to one another. God, thank you for leading us to this place in your story, Joshua 24. God, we pray that we would open our eyes to see you, to be in awe of who you are. We would open our hearts to be moved to what, what, what you're saying to us specifically and that we would be moved to action that glorifies you today. So God, we're here because we want to hear from you. And so we pray you would speak powerfully to us. We acknowledge your Holy Spirit is present with us. We pray for his power, for his illumination, and ultimately that you would be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. We come to the uh, end, we've got about a half hour and we're gonna set aside the last 15 minutes of our service just to really spend time in prayer and in worship together. I just want you to know that's coming as we uh, walk through this 
with the Lord together. So here's Joshua, sixth book of the Bible. The nation of Israel has just come through a long and very difficult season in the promised land, right? Uh, sorry, on the other side of the Jordan, they're getting to the promised land and it didn't go well and they got stuck for 40 more years. And then finally, God brings them across the Jordan River and that's the book of Joshua. And it's God being faithful to his promises. And over and over, we're gonna see he's the hero of the story. And now Joshua's at the end of his life and he's calling this nation together in a very important place called Shechem. And that's where we pick up in chapter 24. So here we go. Verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Isn't that beautiful? And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and now God's going to tell them their story. God is speaking long ago. Your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Isn't that where our story begins too? Before we've been drawn in to faith in Jesus, we are serving other gods. That's a very important part of this story. God takes them back to before he was their God and they were his people. Very important. It's God moving the storyline forward. Verse three, then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river. I led him through all the land of Canaan. I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau this hill country of Seir to possess. And Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron. I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And you came to the sea. Oh, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He made the sea come upon them and cover them. Your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. <laughs> oh, yes, we did. This, those people must have been thinking, the hero of the story, God did everything. Did you catch that? I gave, I took, I led, I delivered, I gave, I provided everything. Oh, he brings them quickly up to date. He, go, he went all the way back to Abraham. That's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before this time. He's going way back, but he comes right up to where they are now. And I'm just going to summarize this next part. He says, you lived in a wilderness a long time, and now you moved into Jericho, where the walls came tumbling down. Wasn't that something? This is the stuff these people saw. They were part of that. And he says, all these people, the Amorites, the Hittites, all these people that were super intimidating, I gave them into your hand. I was the one who fought your battles for you. And he says, now you're living in cities you did not build, and you're drinking wine from grapes you didn't plant. 
I've provided it all. He's the hero of their story. The chapter before, uh, um, Joshua was already preparing them for this moment, and this is what he said in verse 14. It's on your screens, 2314. And now I, Joshua, am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All has come to pass for you, and not one of them has failed. It's like he's saying, there is no one like our God. There's nobody like him. And Joshua, and now God reveals that as he tells them their story. God is faithful. He never fails. Do you see that in your story? Do you see the faithfulness of God in the way that he met you and redeemed you and called you to himself away from those foreign gods that you served before and into his kingdom, into his family? What would it look like if we at Trinity, if God told us our story, where would he start? Would he start in 1980 when people decided we need to see a church that's going to reach this community and this world? He has told us his story, folks, over and over again. We sing about it every Sunday. But I want to just draw your attention to Ephesians 1. It's one of my favorite places where God tells us our story. And I'm just going to summarize it. It's not on the screens, but he starts saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in his beloved one, Jesus. In him, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In accordance to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And he goes on and on. Isn't this our story? Where did it begin? Before the creation of time. He chose you. And he chose me to be a part of his story and his kingdom. How do you become a part of it, you may be thinking. Because maybe some of you here today are like, I don't know if I'm a part of that. Well, Paul goes on in Ephesians 1 and he says this. And you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. What is the message of truth? The gospel of your salvation. What we just shared, what Paul just wrote, that's the good news. When you heard it, it says, you believed. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who's a deposit guaranteeing everything that's to come, our inheritance in heaven, guaranteed. Holy Spirit is that guarantee. 
until this final redemption when we get to go and be with Jesus to the praise of his glorious grace. This is our story, but so is our current redemption story, and each one of us has one. Do you know the people's stories that are in your Bible studies? Have you shared your story of how God has redeemed you and, and is currently working in your life with your kids? Grandparents, do your grandkids know well, how God called you to himself and what he's doing in you right now? We're going to see in this passage today that knowing God and knowing his works is critical for the next generation to choose to follow him. And so that's part of our take-home today, is we need to be telling this story, going all the way back to the beginning, but our stories intersect with the story of God. And so Joshua, after, G after God tells them their story, says, you have a choice to make. You need to make a choice, and now we're going to get back, but this is what he's going to say. How do we respond we should be in awe. And that awe is what's going to drive us to serve the Lord sincerely and faithfully. Without it, it's a man-made religion empowered by a man-made power. And it will not last. Let's look at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the Jordan River or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This phrase, fear the Lord, means to be in awe of God. It's reverence. It's a word that inspires praise and worship and devotion. And then he says, here are the adjectives he uses. We're to serve the Lord. That word for serve has a sense of worship. Worship that's not just singing songs, worship that is the, the overflow of everything in our lives. And he says with these two adjectives, with sincerity and faithfulness, I see this as a strength of Trinity Church. I am so encouraged by the faith of you, my brothers and sisters, my faith has grown because of your example of serving the Lord with sincerity and faithfulness. And it's not just those of you who've been around a long time. When I hear a new story of God's redemption, the baptisms we just had three weeks, two weeks ago, I was blown away and encouraged by the way that God is working and that people are sincerely and faithfully choosing to follow him. So way to go. Let's keep on that path. But Joshua throws out this absurd challenge. If it doesn't seem 
Well, the NIV translates it like this. If, if this. if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, can you imagine that? God has just told them his whole story, and some people are going to say, yeah, I don't want to serve him. It's absurd. And the people catch that because look how they respond, picking up in verse 20, uh, verse 16. And uh, I want you to read this section out loud with me. Okay, think of this. You've just seen God. You've heard his wonderful story of how he has worked for you. This is how they respond. Respond with them, with me. Let's read out loud. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out, our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Isn't that a great moment? That's it. They accept the challenge. It would be absurd not to, wouldn't it? If you've made this choice, I just want you to read those last words with me again. You ready? Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But what comes next is totally, totally unexpected. Look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. After this wonderful response, Joshua is not impressed, and he challenges their, their response to his first challenge. You're not going to do it. You're not able to do it, is what he says. What he's saying is God is jealous for you. He wants all of you, and there are competing affections, right? He said, throw away those foreign gods among you. This is a strong and unexpected response. I want you to imagine with this, how many of you have been to a marriage, a wedding? Oh, good, so you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so can you imagine you, you, you're all here in this room. These are people you love. That's why you're there, right? They invited you. They're with the pastor, and the pastor's kind of getting to the end of the ceremony. They stand there, they face one another, and they, do, they make their vows, right? It's a covenant. This is a covenant renew, uh, situation as well. They say their vows, and they get to the end, right? Forsaking all others till death do us part. And then the pastor says, you're not able to do it. Do you imagine the tension of that moment? 
It's like, what? Let's see how this plays out. Okay, pause on the marriage, okay? We'll come back to the marriage. Let's see how this plays out. Why not? That's my question. Verse 21. The people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, your witness is against yourselves, but you've chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. And he said, then put away the foreign gods among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So it's back and forth, right? Back and forth. Okay, let's get back to the wedding, all right? The bride and groom are just like, what just happened? And they say, no, no, we, we mean it. We, we will faithfully stay faithful to one another till death do us part. And the pastor says, are you sure about that? Your witness is against yourselves. And they say, yes, yes, we're wit- we'll be witnesses. This is what we want. We mean it. And then he looks at them and he reveals a problem and he says, then you need to cut off the other relationship you're in. And you need to give your whole heart to each other. That's what's happening in this situation. He says, there are foreign gods among you and you're serving them. It's like this group. It's not two people put on the spot, thankfully. It's a whole group, right? Gathered in this covenant renewal moment. And Joshua says, there are foreign gods among you. Your hearts aren't completely the Lord's. And this thing is not gonna work unless your heart is 100% for God. That's the message of this moment. Friends, I don't wanna be heavy-handed with this. I've done a lot of soul-searching this week, saying, God, what are the foreign gods? What are the idols in my life that would keep me from faithfully serving you? Where are the areas in my heart that, that, I, that are stopping me from being 100% in with you? Because that's the challenge that Joshua puts before the people that day. And I think the thing that holds back the church, not just Trinity Church, I'm talking God's church, what holds us back from being effective in his mission of reaching the lost, of being a true light in the darkness where people are coming to find Jesus and then to grow in their faith, I think it's this issue that our hearts are not completely his. And it's true for all of us in different ways and at different times. What would it look like if we said, hey, that's what we're going to devote ourselves to in this next season is having hearts that are completely for the Lord. We hear about generations being lost, don't we? And we got to realize the enemy is gunning for, to, to bring an end to the church, right? And is he going to be successful? No. Upon this rock, I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
But this is the critical thing. I really believe it is that the church in America has too much of America in the church. I really believe that. And I think the generations are, they're, they're being pulled, the youngest generation. I see you. You're being pulled by all these different foreign gods that are in our, in our nation. But so are your parents. We're all in this together. And this is an opportunity for us today to acknowledge some of those things and incline our hearts to the Lord. We're going to see that's, that's what he says to do. But I want to think real quickly about this idea of serving foreign gods, right? I want to think about this, because there's a lot in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. And um, the one he brings up in Matthew 6, 24, is the foreign god of money. Mm, there's a big one in our culture, isn't it? Look, look what he says in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and hate or and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, just one example that Jesus used. But he draws the line and says, you think that you can serve both, but you can't, because this is how it's going to play out. You're going to end up loving one and hating the other. And God won't have competing affections. He's a jealous God. That's what that means. He wants all of us because he loves us that much. And he knows that the only, the, the only true joy in us recognizing our purpose in this world and for eternity is with him. You cannot have competing affections. John Calvin said this, it's on the screen, the human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us from his mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols, right? Our heart just goes after this and it goes after that and it elevates this and all of a sudden it, it becomes more important to us than God. The things you serve are the things you love. Look what um, Tim Keller says in his book, Counterfeit Gods, when he's, he's trying to struggle in that whole book with this issue of idolatry, he says this, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And how do we identify these things? He says, a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. I have a question. Are there things in your life like that? Could these be really good things? Yeah. But they could also be really bad and destructive things too, right? So it's, 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 there are many, many examples before I go on, I'm going to talk a little bit more about identifying these things. Um, I want you to know that there's forgiveness and that God, Jesus, he says, come to me, I'm gentle. God wants to deal with these things in our lives. He's not trying to bring judgment on us. 
When Joshua says the Lord will not forgive, we know in the scriptures that the Lord will forgive. That's his character. I am slow to anger and abounding in love, forgiving iniquities for thousands of generations, he says. And I think Joshua's talking about the unrepentant heart, the person who will not turn and give their whole hearts to the Lord. That's who he's talking about. So the invitation is to throw away our idols. But before we do, uh, John names some idols. This is pretty serious. In 1 John um, chapter 2, 15 to 17, he categorizes areas that I think every false god that draws our hearts could be categorized into one of these three areas. So look at this. Do you do not love the world or the things in the world? There it is again. It's love, right? What are we loving? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, there they are, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so it comes again down to a heart issue, is what do you love? Don't love the world, John says, because it's passing away. I want to take a minute and I want to think about these things, these foreign gods, idols, whatever we want to call them, they're the things we serve. The desires of the flesh could be a lot of different things. My flesh might want some things that are different than yours, but it kind of all comes down to this. Is this a God of our culture, a God of this world? It sure is. There's, there, there isn't, it's not wrong to enjoy. The pursuit of happiness is a good thing, but not if it becomes your God. You agree? This is a God of our culture that maybe we need to deal with. The desires of the eyes, wow. This is just one way to categorize that, right? We see things and we want them. Think about how much time your eyes are spent on devices. Think about that, social media, TV, video games. I think this is a God in our culture that is drawing us away, our hearts away from the Lord. Greed. Oh, this one gets me. I struggle with this one most. The pride of life. Things in my life that make me feel like I'm better than somebody else. The desire to have recognition. The pride of life. Comes in all sorts of situations. And this is an ugly one. God says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when it comes down to it, I think all of them can be wrapped up in this God of our culture. It's me, right? It's my right. It's my truth. Do you hear that in our culture now? It's my truth. 
my identity. That's a big one. Me, me, me. I think we all struggle with this one. So what does God tell us to do? Here's another beautiful invitation. No matter how sincere it is, I think we all fail to love him with all of our hearts, don't we? All these things are, are geared, gunning for our hearts, and we fail to love him with all our hearts, and so we have disobeyed the greatest commandment. Just a reminder, here it is. Jesus was answering what's the most important commandment, and he says the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you should love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. No matter how much I want to live my life to please God, I never live a day of it where I love the Lord perfectly, or where I love my neighbor perfectly like myself. And some of these things can really throw a wrench in that love relationship with the Lord or with others, can't they? And so what do we do about these things? Well, this is what Joshua says, right? Throw away the foreign gods among you. Throw them away. Get rid of them. That's what the NIV says. Put away the foreign gods that are among you is what our ESV translation but I love this sense of throwing away, and you've wondered, why is there a trash can on the stage? And it's for this purpose. It's a symbol of this. Right? It's repentance. It's turning away from those things, and it's turning towards God. And some of those things, some of those things have a really, really strong on our hearts. And folks, you can't turn away from those things without the power of God and without the help of his people. And we're here for that. We're here for each other. If those kind of things have gotten into your life and they're, they're bringing destruction, I want you to know that Trinity Church is here for you. Jared, Pastor Jared and I were talking about you belong here, that's beautiful, uh, core value that we had last week. And we thought another way to state that is this. We embrace messy grace. We embrace messy grace because throwing those things away may be a long journey for some of you, but we want you to know that we'll journey with you. That's what our home groups are for that's what we as pastors, ministry leaders, that's what we're here for, to pray for one another, to support one another so that all of our hearts to the Lord. And here's the other thing is we don't just throw things away or we're going to go back to them. And I love it. What's his next thing? Incline your hearts to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Incline your heart to the Lord. The NIV translation says, yield your hearts to the Lord. There's a will. We have this will that says, give it all to him. The word for incline that's translated from the Hebrew has a sense of it, of spreading it all out. 
So there's a sense of offering an open heart, a whole heart to God. So we throw away the foreign gods, we turn away and we turn toward God and we offer him our whole hearts. And he begins to change those hearts with his grace. And that's our journey for as long as we live on this earth until he takes us home to heaven. So as we bring things to a close, you might ask yourself, how did this story end? <laughs> and you're going to have to read it for yourself because we want to move on here. But I'm going to tell you, uh, just here's what happened. They renewed their covenant that day. They had already verbalized it. Joshua put it down in writing, and then he symbolized it with a rock. All right, you've chosen to serve the Lord. How did they do? Is this a happy ending? Here's what it says. It says, all of that generation, until Joshua died, and all of his elders died, served the Lord. That's a happy ending. But then what happened? <laughs> the book of Judges. It's an absolute wreck. And here's what it says in Judges chapter 2. There arose another generation after them that did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. That was it. They didn't know him or the things that he had done. And that's why our, our, the gospel story and our redemption stories are so important to pass along to the next generations that are coming after us. Trinity Church, I believe that there is such good intention among our body right now to be a church that passes the baton to the next generation. We've called it growing younger. And we know that if we don't do this, the church is just going to eventually become a school or a theater, right? This building, this campus, that's not what we want. And here's my fear. I fear that we focus on the wrong things. We're concerned with being relevant or being modern or being attractive, and those are good things, but they're not the main thing. The main thing is a whole heart that's inclined toward the Lord. That's what we need to be moving toward. And that's what we get to encourage in one another. And that's what we want to spend the rest of our time, just spending time saying, God, God, help us to have whole hearts for you because it's critical, not only for us, but especially for those next generations that are going to come after us until Christ returns. And so we want to end the service just with some time a prayer, the worship team's going to come out. They are prepared to lead us in a few songs, but we're going to pause before we sing, and we're going to pray. And I encourage you, there are three different ways I want to encourage you to consider praying. The first way, and what we're asking the Lord, is are there competing gods in my life? Then I need to throw those away, and I need to incline, help us incline our hearts to you, God. That's what we're asking the Lord. I would encourage you, you can do that alone, but I'd really encourage you to do that with somebody else. You can stand up, you can move around the room, and just spend some time praying together, reading scripture if God brings a scripture to mind. 
Let's repent before the Lord and let's ask him to give us those hearts that are wholehearted to him. Another way you might want to do that is with our prayer team. They're going to take their places kind of around the perimeter of the room. There'll be a number of them. If you just need to pray with someone, I'd encourage you, get up during this time and go pray with somebody. And then lastly, Pastor Steve and myself are going to be down here. We're going to have a microphone. If God puts it on your heart to share something from his word or to pray on behalf of us, then I would encourage you, come to Pastor Steve or myself and go ahead and pray. And if you're already praying, you can keep going. But that prayer, God's going to hear it. And that prayer is going to wash over and be our heart today. So prayer or scripture that would edify this body. And then Morgan's going to then lead us in the closing song. We're going to end about 10, 15, 10, 20, if, if that's the Lord's plan. And if not, we'll see. Let me pray for us as we begin. And I am going to pray a prayer of repentance as we begin together. So Heavenly Father, we have looked back at your faithfulness throughout all generations, the way that you pick us out of this place in life where we are serving foreign gods and you reveal ourself to us. And for us, it's the gospel, it's Jesus. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And when we discover the incredible love that he has for us, what he did in order to bring us into his family as his adopted sons and daughters, God, we have no other choice than to be in awe of who you are. And Father, I pray as Joshua charged that that would then help us to serve you with sincerity and faithfulness. And yet we know, God, that there are other competing affections in our lives, some of them very good things, some of them destructive things. God, we confess those things before you today, that they have a stronger hold on our hearts than we wish. Sometimes we don't have the power to turn away. And so I ask that you would give the strength today if people are feeling that helplessness, that your power through your spirit, through the word of truth, none can stand against it. Lord, when I think of my own sin, the self is awfully close to the surface. I struggle, God, with the pride of life and for me, it was this verse in Romans chapter 12 that just keeps coming to mind in my own life. It says this, verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And I confess, God, that I am wise in my own sight. I think I'm right, and sometimes... That, draw, that forms a wedge. It stops me from loving others as I love myself. And I confess that sin. And I ask you to forgive me. Go ahead and pray with one another. And if someone would like to come up here, you're welcome to do that as well. Our team can take their places around the perimeter of the room.
Let's just spend some time with the Lord, opening our hearts to him, being in awe of who he is, confessing those things that would keep us from wholeheartedly serving him. to do something tangible. The Lord has convicted you of foreign gods, idols in your life. Trash can of what we're told to do. We're told to throw those away, to put them away. And we've actually got trash cans around the room. You could write those on any piece of paper you have. You can bring them and throw them away as a symbol. Do that on your way out as well. Just another option. 